this all in Jesus' name, amen. In Revelation 22:17, we we saw 22:16 a couple of, of weeks ago, and 22:16 was um, about the uh, the testimony. Jesus said, "I Jesus sent my messenger to testify to you all for all of the churches." In other words, the book of Revelation is a testimony. It is testified to by John. It is testified to by the Lord God Almighty. And he said, I myself, Jesus speaking, and the root and the offspring of David, the bright morning star. I hope last week was a blessing to be reminded of the places the Lord said he was the I am. The I am that revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush. The same I am who became flesh and dwelt among us. The different places that, that John, that he was, it was recorded in the gospel of John and in the book of Revelation. Where he made these claims. I am the root and offspring of David. One of the great mysteries, it's not really a mystery. Would Messiah be God or man or both? Would he be a sacrifice or a conqueror or both? And see, if we re just remember that, so many times we get so legalistic, it's got to be either or, and sometimes it's both. And that's what the Jews were battling with even in the first century. And the Lord asked them, said, how can David call him Lord and he be David's son? How is that possible? He's God and man at the same time. Now in verse 17 is the invitation. And that song we just sang is based off this invitation this is <clears throat> the verse that it comes from it says in the spirit and the bride say come this is a present tense meaning it is valid at, at any point to be a gnomic or dramatic present they call it different kinds of presence it's a present tense by form by function it's saying keep on doing it it's a it's a middle the spirit and the bride say come, that means they initiate. And the imperative is the command force of it. It is the word erkomai. It means to come and to keep coming. In other words, the invitation to join the family of God is not ending. It did not end with the resurrection of Christ. It's not going to end with the close of the canon of Scripture. It involves a decision. This middle voice, it's called a deponent middle. This middle voice requires a decision. So there are those who need to make a decision to heed the command to come on. And it says, and let the one who hears. This is another participle carrying on the force of the main verse, uh, verb, which is, which is the word come. That's the main verb. And it is a definite article. It's, it says, let the one who is hearing, picking up the tense of the main verb. So this too is stated as a command. That's what a present participle does. It picks up the force of the main verb, which is a command. So this participle is an imperatival participle for those who care. Anyway, it is a command that goes in, let the, let the one who hears say, come. So have you heard the message today? I mean, have you heard the message in the, in the song and the music? 10,000 reasons, even so, Yeshua, come. Have you, have you heard the message? Well... Let the one who hears say, come, present active imperative. If you've heard, you're under command to invite others to come and join this amazing family. And let the one who is thirsty, same construction, carries on the power and force of a command. Let the one who wishes this is the word thelo, and it is the word in the present participle, let the one desiring to do this. It is not bulomai, which is ordained or decreed. It's not saying, and the spirit and the bride say, come all you who are elected to salvation. It says everybody. The spirit and the bride says, let the one who is thirsty come. Again, the exhortation. And let the one who wishes, who desires, take the water of life. There's no definite article here. I would expect to see the water of the life, the eternal life that is there. 
Yet in the Greek, whenever you expect to see a definite article and you don't, like with theos, God, and you don't see hotheos, the definite article, the God that goes with it, it emphasizes the quality of the uh, object that you're talking about. Take the water of life. This water has a quality to it unlike any other quality. We know that water is necessary for the sustenance of life. The spiritual water is necessary to sustain us and bring life to us spiritually. And look at this word, without cost. I love this word. It is the word dorea. It's used nine times. And it means freely. It's another way to say by grace alone. You know, it's interesting that they say grace, mercy is when you don't get what you do deserve. You've done something that you deserve punishment for and you don't get it. That's called mercy. Grace is a little bit different in that you get what you absolutely don't deserve. And when none of us deserve salvation. Let the one who desires, the one who wants to. It's left up to the individual. Receive the water of life, a quality that will go on forevermore without cost, cost by grace alone. Now, while some things are not easy to understand in this book or in life, some are. This is one of the things very easy to understand. The invitation to join the family of God is based in grace. If you wanted to say a few parting words to somebody, as the Lord does through the, through the Apostle John to be passed on to all the churches, what does he say? The invitation to join this family is grace. You're welcome. You're not just welcome. You're wanted. See the word come? Come on over. It's, a, it's not just a come on if you want. It's just, even though it's up to your volition and your desire to make that step as, a, as an unbeliever. But he says, the bride and the Lord say, join in. Be a part of us. Let's have a Thanksgiving with everybody there sometime. The Holy Spirit. The Spirit and the bride. The Holy Spirit and the bride of Christ. Here issue a strong exhortation and join them for eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. Because wh what's the context? New creation, new heavens, new earth, no more sin, sorrow, death. Those old things have passed away. He has made all things new. And what, is he, what does he want? He wants everybody. The Spirit and the bride say come. That should be our mantra. The bride of Christ, especially those who have gone on before us, are saying, come, join in. Those who hear and accept the invitation. Now, everybody in here, I would expect, has already accepted the invitation. Come on. Come on and eat at the table, you know, with the Lord. Those who hear and accept the invitation are invite others. It's not like some places, well, I want to join in this group over here and we don't want anybody else. Only the elite can be in there. Only the special, only the elect, only this, only that. This is everybody come on. It's opening the gates into the sheepfold and saying if you want to join in. There's only one door still, but it's, it's really big and we really like to have you. Anyone who is spiritually thirsty is to come and drink of the living water indicating the unlimited atonement of Jesus Messiah 1st John chapter 2 verses 1 and 2 <clears throat> if we went back into the first chapter back then first chapter of 1st John we end up with walking in the light as he is in if we walk in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we're a liar. And the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then verse, chapter 2. My little children, I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. Now see, I've heard, I've I, I run into people 
may have been one myself at one time. First John 1 John 1.9, hey, I can just confess it. If I get in a problem, I'll just confess it. Oh, if I do it, I get a whipping. I just confess it. Well, you try that and you teach that to your kids, and you know the first thing they'll do when they get in trouble? I confess it to God. That's what little kids do. Both of mine did. They tried to pull that stunt. No, you're still in trouble. I'm glad you realized you're in trouble. But there's still consequences to various actions. But look at this. Why did John write these things? He says, uh, my little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. It's not a license to sin in the previous verses. Like some have taken it. If anyone sins, though, we have an advocate with the Father. Advocate is a defense attorney. You know, our defense attorney, he doesn't lose any cases. That's, that's who he is. I mean, no devil saying, they shouldn't be in heaven. You should take their eternal life away. You should do, no, I paid for that sin on the cross. He brings a charge, that's what the devil does, the adversary. That's who he is. He brings a charge against you who are part of the family of God. And, and Jesus said, penalty paid. Penalty paid. Yeah, they might get some consequences in time, but penalties paid. Because he paid for it. Now, who's going to testify against that and say he didn't? And he says, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. <laughs> you, you have other places in Scripture. This is a hagios word. There's a hasios word that is so amazingly beautiful. It's only used eight times in Scripture. Hagios means sanct it, it is a, a judicial, if you will, set apart judiciously, made holy, declared holy. It has an experiential end of it, but when it goes to pure experiential uh, means, it uses the word hasios, and it changes that. Meaning, three of the eight times it says, you will not allow your Holy One to undergo decay. It's the translation from the Old Testament prophecy. Your experientially Holy One to undergo decay. So when Messiah dies, he won't undergo decay. The body won't undergo decay is what he's saying. But the experientially Holy One, that's what Hosios is, because in Revelation 15.6 and 16.4, it says he's the only one experientially holy the only one and he uses the word monos in there to, for the word only to the exclusion of all others he is the only one but in Titus it is used to say this is what a pastor should become a leader a spiritual leader therefore anybody mature in Christ needs to become experientially holy now we're not already He's the only one that ever did it forevermore. But we are called to be that way. We are called to be Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation. The satisfaction of the Father's righteousness for our sins. And who's John talking to and with? Believers. He is the satisfaction of the righteousness and justice of the Father for our sins. But I love this. Not for ours only but also for those of the holos world, the entire world. It's a word that looks at it in a global sense. It is a definition of unlimited atonement found right here. The use of the words are very carefully selected that we find here. <clears throat> if we do sin, we're still part of the family. But it's not pleasing in the eyes of God, so we shouldn't want to be involved in ongoing sin each individual is free to choose whoever they will follow the night before the cross the Lord made it very clear he's talking to his disciples he's just given them the parable of the vine and he says but they have done this in order that the word may be fulfilled that is written in their law they hated me without a cause he's preparing the disciples he's saying they're going to take me out they basically are going to string me up, only it was going to be on a cross. And he says, I'm going to rise again. He'd been trying to tell those guys that for months, making it very clear what was going to happen when he came to Jerusalem. And he said, it's part of the fulfillment of prophecy. They hated me without a cause. They had no valid cause to yell crucify him. None whatsoever. 
And he said they hated me. So it's still up to each individual, free to choose who they are going to believe and follow. These invitations are all based in grace. Matthew 10, 8. Principle stated very simply, freely you have received, freely give. Freely you've received. How did you, how did you get saved? By the grace of God and nothing else. It is the greatest gift ever given to, to anybody. Salvation from the penalty for sin. Freely you've received, freely give. What we receive, freely receive is justification. Which is the message to share. Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Verse 24 though. Being justified. Being declared righteous. By who? Jesus Christ the righteous. Being declared righteous as a gift. By his grace. Through the redemption. Which is in Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ paid the redemption price. In order that we might be part of the family. So it's, it's amazing. Just look at Romans 3. 23 and 24. You could think and meditate that on that. For a long time. Because look at everything. That's in, encompassed in that. Sin. What's the problem with sin? It falls short of the glory of God. What about God? He's the one that made us. He's the one that created us in his image. He is the creator. To him we owe everything. Our existence and everything else. But being declared righteous. Because unholy creatures can't come into the presence of a holy God. And eternity has been justified as a gift. A gift by his grace. And how many times throughout the course of history and the church. Have people wanted to work in order to be saved from the penalty for sin. Invariably, people add stuff to it. Don't add anything. People say, well, that's easy believism. This day and time, it's getting harder and harder to believe. It is. Because, uh, you know, I was thinking of Pastor Thomas Samuel, one of our missionaries from India. His picture's on the back there. He's gone into villages and taken Bibles in. That's part of what he does. And he says, we've gone into villages. And they say, Jesus, Jesus. They've never heard of Jesus. Is that a new brand of cigarettes? They've been asked. He's, he's been asked that. Well, as a gift by grace, they don't understand it. They want to work for it. And constantly people want to add to salvation. Well, if you're really saved, you'll do this. Okay? Now, if we're really saved, we should do a lot of things. Okay? We should grow up in Christ. We should remove all pride and envy and slander and all those other things. We should, but not that we will ever accomplish it. This side of eternity. Why do we need a new body? So it'll be accomplished. Righteous men made perfect is what it says. Through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. The slave could not buy its own freedom. It had to be purchased. Redemption is about paying a price. And that's what the cross did. Pay a price that we could not pay. And the gift of salvation is to be spread without cost. 2 Corinthians eleven seven. He says, did I commit a sin in humbling myself? That you might be exalted. He's talking to the Corinthian church. Because I preached the gospel to you without charge. There are a lot of people floating around even in the ancient world. That thinks the gospel is for sale. But evangelists shouldn't charge. I do not believe that evangelists should charge. I think evangelists should be supported. Paul worked at a period, for a period of time making tents. Because you don't want to go in and give them a message of a grace gift and say, well, and then tack money to it. You know what to do? It's distracting. It's distracting from what the mirror, from what the, the real issue is. The real issue is faith, not money. You can't buy your way into heaven. So why would an evangelist go in and then want to take an offering up? Or why would they say, come pay the price of admission, then we'll let you in to hear the, the message of the good news. 
Well, in Paul, the Corinthian church, because there were floating charlatans at the, in the first century, and they'd come through and they were already found a way to sell the message. They were as bad as Balaam that Peter points out in 2 Peter 2. They were every bit as bad as Balaam who were lovers of money and they went in and they sold the message. And Paul said, you're criticizing me because I came to you and I didn't charge you to give you the gospel. Think about that for a bit. Because he's been talking to them over and over again in his letters. He'd made at least three or four trips there to, to Corinth. Wrote, he wrote four letters that we know about. I think two or three trips to Corinth. So he went there and he talked to them a lot about it. And he says, here in 2 Corinthians, he said, you think I'm a problem because I didn't charge you for the gospel. What a mess. The spirit and the bride... That's who we are. Say come. And let the one who hears. Invite other people. Come on. And that command is with an urgency. To it. It's not just oh come on if you want to. It's, there's an urgency. Interesting thing about urgencies. Is they oftentimes communicate that you care. That there's concern. I've heard it said people don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. And that is so true with unbelievers, new believers. I have some friends that are going to Israel as missionaries. Be moving over there next year. And one of the big things is, and they've been learning and teaching. They have well grounded since they were, I, they're still kids to me. But they've well been well grounded in the faith. What they realize is to evangelize, especially in Israel and to the Jews, you're going to have to develop relationships with people. I heard one guy say, love them till they ask you why. Point six percent of people living in Israel now are evangelical Christians. Talk about a fertile place to evangelize. What are they going to do? The spirit and the bride say come. Offer an invitation. In verse 18 and 19 is a warning. He's getting ready to close out the canon of Scripture. He says, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. Okay, so if you've heard the words to the prophecy of this book, this is attached to book. In the next verse, this, the word this is attached to prophecy. The words of this prophecy. So that's telling us that the two are the same. They're one and the same. It says, if anyone adds, it's a subjunctive used here. Aorist tense looks at a point of time. Active means that they actively do it. It's not talking about inadvertently do it. It's talking about actively doing it. Subjunctive says there is a potential for this to happen. It is the word epithemi. It's interesting because tithemi is a word that means to place. Like I place my hand on the, on the pulpit. And epi means over, so it means I put the other hand on top of that. So it's saying, here is the book, okay? And if you start placing things over the top of it, it's not pleasing in the eyes of the Lord. In fact, it says, if anyone adds to them, what, the words, God shall add, the same word, epi to thame, to him, the plague, the plagues that are written in this book. That's a pretty strong warning, isn't it? John, John, you know, is not known for his political correctness. You read the Gospel of John, you read the epistles, and the epistles, will, if, you, if you hate your brother, you hate God. <laughs> no, no in-between with John. Sin is sin. Okay, If you sin, no matter what it is, it needs confession. Now, here is John... That's the way he writes. This is inspired of the Spirit because the Spirit and the Bride are saying, come. And the second part, and if anyone takes away. And here is Afiemi. 
This means to take and remove somewhere else. Fiemi is, comes from the word group, means to, to carry or haul, and ah means away from. And it's again a subjunctive indicating the potential from the words, the logos. I, I love the word word. And that sounds kind of crazy and redundant in the figure of speech. But logos emphasizes the content and the definition of things. There's another word, rhema, rhema, and that group emphasizes the communication of it. But this word emphasizes the comment. In the beginning was the logos, right? Because it's a definition. He's talking about the definition of the Almighty. In the beginning was the word, and the word, whole logos, the word, was with God, and the word was the God. Oh, that's a powerful statement. John 1 1. But logos is not about just our, our words, it's about the definitions. Now, why would you think the old devil in the last days would want to change definitions? Because if people don't have definition, then they're going to be misled and led astray. And if they, the devil says the same lie over and over enough and people start saying there are no absolutes, then the next thing you know it goes to definitions of words. And they call this postmodernism. That's why some people can read the Bible and say, well, the Bible doesn't condemn homosexuality. Best yet, it doesn't condemn any of those things. And I'm going, what book are you reading? They redefined the words is what they've done. It's exactly what they've done. So we have to, and we're studying things and I have to look at them. And we, we sometimes, I, I've read theology books and things, and part of the times I find two people arguing the same point, but their vocabulary is different. And they've never taken the time to understand the other person's vocabulary. And they're arguing the same point. And you're going, why? Hey, you guys, that's what unity is about. Come together and define something together so you can talk about it intelligently. And <clears throat> that's what they're saying. The, the words of the book of this prophetia, singular. Once again, you find it. Remember chapter 1, verse 3? Blessed are those who read and hear the words of the book of this prophecy. Singular. What do you find at the end of the book? The book of this prophecy. Singular again. The whole book is prophetic. A lot of different moving parts in it. But the whole book is a prophecy. It says God shall take away. And here he goes to a future tense. States it is a prophecy. His part. Meros is the word referring to an inheritance. A part or a portion. Meros. Marizo. Those are words that primarily indicate an inheritance from the tree of the life and from the holy city which are written in this book now I like there's some things that thrill me to no end and other people they bore to tears but this this is the word grapho the word for right now the word right often is an aorist tense and you're just writing like this this word's a perfect tense and it is a passive participle. So the word perfect says it's completed action. It goes on forever. The passive says it was acted on by an outside force. It's, it's another way of saying which are written, which are inspired. Having been written down because they've been inspired. In this biblion. The Biblion, the I-O-N, is a diminutive. It is a small book. In comparison to the 66 books, a big book, this is a relatively small book. It's a great big scroll, which we learned about in the first chapter, because that's what he wrote it on. It wasn't put into a book form like we now have it. But first of all, no portion of Scripture should be omitted or distorted. You might say, well, why do you, why do, you do anything other than read through it? When I teach the book of Revelation, I try almost every verse you'll, you're going to see a Bible verse that goes with it. Because if, if we are applying 
previously revealed information to this portion of revealed information, we're letting the Bible interpret itself. What this is saying is when you start reading foreign meanings into this book of Revelation, that's where the problem is, or you find a part of it you don't like. Well, I don't like the part about the plagues. So they must be allegorical and not real. See, I think that's where the warnings are. You don't start reading it in. You don't. There's, there's no special dreams, visions, or any of that other stuff. Colossians 2 says be on the lookout against that, having their, their fleshly mind inflated by dreams and visions that they claim they've had that were going on in the first century. Just be careful with it. Now, no portion of this book should be omitted or distorted. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and judgments which I am teaching you to perform in order that you may live and go in and take possession of the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I am commanding you, nor take away from it. That sound familiar? That you may keep the commandments of the Lord, which I command you. Deuteronomy 12, 32. Whatever I command you, you be careful to do. You shall not add to, nor take away from it. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5 and 6. Every word of God is tested. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Yeah, he's a shield, but if you want to take advantage of it, you have to take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he reprove you and you be proved a liar. Now, a lot of people have tried to help God out within the realm of Christianity. And they start making up fanciful stories that are simply not true. And they think they're going to win somebody to Christ. And I submit they're going to run more people off. This, that is nothing but arrogance and hubris that is going to pick up and start adding to. It's like the, the deep gas well. I guess you all heard the deep gas well down in Oklahoma where they pulled the lid off the thing. And some guy listened down into the gas well, which tells you there's a problem <laughs> to begin with. <laughs> this might work at places where they don't drill for oil and natural gas. But you're not going to stick your ear to a pipe coming out of the ground into a gas well. Deepest gas well in the world. He leaned down in there and he heard the voices of hell calling out. And I thought, I remember this one when I was a kid. Uh, you know, eyes get big and all that sort of stuff. And you get older and you go, that's ridiculous. Well, what is that? It makes Christians look like idiots. There's enough of the real stuff and the good stuff going on. We don't need to make things up at all. We just, we're called to testify to what you have seen. Have you seen the Lord bring healing to somebody's life you thought was going to pass on? Yeah, testify to that. Have you seen the Lord answer prayer in amazing ways? Testify to that. You don't need to make up or add to or do anything. Testify to the truth and, and stick to it. In context, this especially includes this relatively little small book of prophecy. It says, see, the things that are written in this small book don't add to or take away. Now God has the authority to add to his word. See, that passage is in Deuteronomy. What happened is the Samaritans and some of the other Jews, they, they only viewed the first five books of the Bible as inspired of God and didn't take anything else to be inspired. Now, Jesus corrected that in John chapter 4 with the woman at the well in, in Samaria. And, but that's what had happened. So they refused, they took the passages there and they didn't let anybody add to it Whatsoever, But see, God has the authority to add to his word or to change methods whenever he wants to do so. Humanity does not. That's the point. That's the point. We don't have the authority to start doing that. Now, <clears throat> what has happened? Some people say, well, it was just uh, 
mere humans in the Roman Catholic Church that decided what was going to be canonical. And all that is is twist that comes out of the mouth of Satan. Because when it got down to the church councils finally in the 300s, all they did was recognize the authority that had already been there. And if there was any question about it, it wasn't included in the canon of Scripture. They did not confer authority on it, as some would claim. They recognized the authority that already existed. Now, that's a big difference in your whole approach to the Scripture. Well, <clears throat> the Lord can add if he wants to. Plagues... People who add to and subtract from, plagues will be administered in time based on the appropriate era in view because there's no plagues in eternity. That's, that's all gone. So anytime you see something like this, it has to refer to time. Now, God has brought discipline upon his people multiple times trying to wake them up. You know, when did he bring discipline on his people? Well, I see, golly, that was so hard to... Will we ever find a time? I see, northern kingdom, southern kingdom. Okay, wandering around the desert. Does he ever bring it on his people? How about 400 years before Christ? And Messiah had not come. And the Jewish developed an allegorical school of interpretation. And so when it comes to... What is that? Adding to or taking from? It's actually both, isn't it? It's an allegorical school. It says it doesn't have to be literally fulfilled. They stopped reading Isaiah 53 about the suffering servant. Of course, it didn't have a chapter 53 at that point. They just skipped, skipped over it. And so <clears throat> they get down to the first, first century, and they don't even recognize their Messiah. And what happens? A thing called 70 A.D., that sent them into all the world for two millennia. Two days, as Hosea would, would call it. Now, <clears throat> he's brought plagues on his people because what did they do at the first century? Did they add to the word of God that which was strictly prohibited? Yeah, it's called the traditions of the elders. Uh, your people come and they, they uh, honor me with their lips and their heart is far away from me. They added to, for believers, the eternal cost will be loss of rewards it could have been. You know, it's possible as a Christian to stand in shame in front of the Lord when he comes back. 1 John 2, 28. It is very possible. <clears throat> I think part of the shame, shame is recognizing mistakes. I think every one of us are going to have some mistakes we've recognized. Maybe we hadn't caught this side of eternity. But I think a big part of that is going to be what could have been. What you could have had. The gold, silver, precious stones, the crowns. The things you could have had that through the sins of commission or omission. One, we just missed out on. I think that's one of the biggest parts of it. Now, adding to means going beyond what's written and holding one's opinion to be equal with Scripture. I heard a guy the other day on a... <clears throat> he started teaching something about creation or something like that, and he said, now this conclusion that I have reached here puts together all 20 of the creation accounts and brings a harmony to them. I went... I find that quite interesting because there's only one of those that's inspired of God the other 19 are suspect so why do you want to manage to consolidate everything into one worldview that accounts for all of the mythology that is out there and yet that's the way people do it that's adding to the word of God is exactly what it's, what it's doing <clears throat> adding to taking from indicates not viewing the entirety of this book as prophetic ah. chapter 1 verse 3 blessed are those who read and hear the words of the book of this prophecy singular it's a singular many moving parts but it's a singular so if someone takes that out and I think if they don't see chapter 2 and 3 the letters to the seven churches as having a prophetic intent they have taken away 
because the whole book is stated in initial context to be a prophecy so yes seven churches existed at that point in time in Turkey and the uh, seven churches that that existed some of them are still around some of them are not around but they're prophetic of different eras of the church age both adding to and taking from will be characteristics of the last days from 2nd Peter chapter 3 <clears throat> first verse he says this is now beloved the second letter I'm writing to you in which I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the word spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles know this first of all that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking following after their own lust now you think from looking at the world we might be living that way you know in previous generations even go back a hundred years the world could not communicate with each other like it's doing now so people would look at that the problems going on in their village and they would extrapolate them out to the whole world and that's why a lot of people like well Jesus got to be coming back soon because it's really bad all over the world no it's really bad in your village they had no way of knowing what was going on in the rest of the world now we know at the speed of light almost we can find out what's going in any on going on in any different country or whatever and he says spoken by your apostles they will come with their mocking following after their own lust now we know all over the world people are mocking the Lord Jesus Christ and they're saying <clears throat> where is the promise of his coming there was a well-known Baptist preacher I don't remember his name thankfully but he was uh, one time a pre-tribulationist and all that and he said well Jesus didn't come back he got tired of trying to date the rapture I guess and all that so he just gave up the whole thing about the rapture and everything else just thinking that well and moved to the allegorical school wrote a book about it again I don't I I'm not even gonna look at the cover on that thing if I see the cover, I'll know which book it is and maybe remember his name. But it, it's not the way to do things. Where's the promise of his coming? Ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues as it was from the beginning of creation. I think that is the rise of evolutionary theory that is so permeating the world. You know, evolutionary theory, if you thought about what's happening in our culture, because now we are so science-driven. Okay, how many times have you heard that in the last six months? Probably enough to drive you insane almost. Don't go insane though. But <clears throat> it's, an, it's enough to make us ill. Well, the science says. Well, why is the science one thing one day and one thing another day? Why is that the science? Oh, and we're not going to let this out. We're not going to let it on Twitter or anything else. We're not going to let it out and let other people hear that lie that you have that the science is interpreted wrong no you can't hear that we're not gonna see because now we have control over what we're what is going to be truth you know what else they deem as science evolutionary theory what they have already done in a lot of the schools you can't teach creation even as an alternate theory you mentioned that I mentioned that in the high school one time doing a seminar for a social studies teacher and she managed to get me in to talk about it a little bit without um, stirring up a whole lot we thought and um, and I'm one of these little kids so well the science is I, and so I said well what really is the science and without going into all the details I didn't want to get her in any trouble but I mean here they are at a very early age thinking that evolution is science it is not science it is theory but when they say it's science then guess what the the all-knowing super media tech giants are going to do they're going to censor anything doesn't agree with it they have the power 
and uh, they didn't have the courage until the last few months but now they're going to control the narrative so we better be rated ever since the fathers fell asleep all continues as it was from the beginning when they maintain this it escapes their notice that by the word of God the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water that's called the flood through which the world at that present time was destroyed being flooded with water but the present heavens and earth by his word are being reserved for fire kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men see we are we are in the, the last days and people look at this and they try to extrapolate backwards and when you go back to the flood the guy that designed carbon, carbon dating said that it's only good for about 6,000 years anybody tries to go back beyond that it's ridiculous it goes beyond the theory that goes with it now this was said when I was a long time ago 40 50 years ago and I heard that and so that's what the guy designed now they're going at millions of years and billions of years using carbon dating to do that half-life isn't that long they can't they can't do that and measure anything and yet <clears throat> They call that science. Uh, Jude 17. But you, beloved, ought to remember the words spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They were saying to you in the last time there will be mockers following their own ungodly lust. These are the ones who cause divisions. Worldly minded, devoid of the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on the most holy faith. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life and have mercy on some who are doubting save others I like this phrase snatching them out of the fire some, on some have mercy with fear hating even the garment polluted by the flesh now what are we doing in the last days? Why are we still here? Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. The Spirit and the Bride say come. And yes, we should indeed sing and pray that with all of our heart. But what we should be more focused on is how do we get the message out to a lost and dying world? Because when the trumpet sounds, I want to be found doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Not doing what I'm not supposed to be doing. Snatching them out of the fire. Why has the Lord tarried? I think because there's not enough snatched out of the fire yet at this point in time. Every person that you might give the gospel to that comes to the Lord, one step closer. One step closer. Unbelievers are going to totally miss the eternal state with God. And believers who fail to hear and heed the book will not have authority or rank in the new Jerusalem. Take out their part from the tree of life. So believers who hear and heed, who fail to hear and heed, they're going to miss out on a lot of things. That's standing in front of him in shame. You know, you read a book, sometimes you read a book and you go, oh, that was hard to understand. And if you have time, you read it again, trying to understand it. There was a young man it was an interpreter uh, for us a long time ago went into Siberia and he told his story of trying to understand things he was a great student at the university he was basically in philosophy he argued against God is what he did that was part of his argument he could win debates he'd read all the great philosophical thinkers he knew them quite well and his grandmother gave him a bible he okay I'm going to fix it I'm going to go through this because he never read it and she challenged him to read it so he read the Gospel of Matthew. And he said, I got to the end and I didn't understand anything about it. And he said, I'd read Descartes, I'd read <laughs> Heidegger. He said, I'd read everybody. I understood them first time. I didn't understand it. Why are people following this? And he said, so I read it through again. And I understood a little bit more of it. 
And he said, so I read it through again. And it was fourth or fifth time he's gone through there. And he said he's trying to picture and visualize the cross. Because he's reading the chapters in Matthew about the cross. And he's trying to picture it and visualize. And he said, I looked up at the cross and our eyes met. And he said, I knew it was for love. And he said, I changed that fast. The next day I get thrown out of the university because nobody could argue with me. See, get the Bible out there. Be a witness. That old grandmother of his led him to the Lord, which has affected many other people. He went into a village with his wife that were known for their drinking prowess. When they had weddings, the groom and the bride would start with a half pint of vodka, drink it, and then they consistently drink it, and this would go on for about a week, and it was, a, it was an absolute mess. And he went to that village to evangelize. And guess what? He was talking to a Wycliffe translator one day, and they said, well, we hope to get somebody out of this people group up here. And he said, we've got a church with over 100 people in it. Because, what did he do? Went to the village, taught them the scriptures, loved them, and people got saved. Hmm. That is fruit, in part, for the grandmother, too. We forget these things. You put your fingerprint on something, God will never forget it. You'll be rewarded. So the spirit and the bride say, come. And it's not about what I'll be rewarded with. It's about, do we love the unlovable enough to not want them to die away from God? Do we want them to join the family? Let's pray. Thank you, Father. Once again, for your amazing word, for the beauty that comes with it, for the glory that you have bestowed, for sending your son to take our place on a cross, we can never thank you enough. The Holy Spirit says, come, we're the bride, are to say, come, let us indeed carry your message to a lost and dying world, for we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.